Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. squad and welcome to ranks fc it's your favorite football podcast back for another week my name is jack collins and i'll be your host there and i'm joined once again by the rank god mr sam Tsai. how you doing mate hello yes i'm very well thank you mate how are you yes i'm very good very good thank you very much and of course our transfer guru mr dean jones how's it going mate I'm good, lads. I'm good. Yeah, we've got a big transfer episode today, which is a transfer month, isn't it? We don't think we've ever done just transfers, transfers, transfers all the way through a window. Um, normally, there's like, a, does the Champions League not kick off towards the end of January normally? Obviously, they've they've truncated it this year. So normally we get like a, a mm. cheeky little Champions League episode at the end, but there isn't one this year. because I think yeah. it's like mid-Feb, isn't it, on the Champions League? Because yeah. they, they obviously wait for the registrations. We usually do something in the middle. But this month feels like it's been pretty relentlessly transfers, and for good reason. Well, this is is the time of the year. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about transfers that could change the course of a season. Five player narratives that could rescue or alter a team's fortunes immediately. So I'm very excited to hear what you have planned here, Dean. But before we do that... It's a good one. Okay, well, before we do that, it's time for Things We Love, making its triumphant return to the podcast after a couple of weeks where we started with a big transfer story. I mean, I was we could have started this with Mikhailo Mucic, but ultimately, I feel like we might have over-indexed a little bit on Chelsea in these sections. <laughs> so uh, we will come around to that, I'm very sure. But let's talk about Things We Love, Sam. And why don't you kick us off? Yeah, you're, you're excited about Dean Jones's transfer gossip for the week, but there's something even better on the horizon. It's the Basque-mentary. It's finally mm. coming out on Friday. Our hey. Athletic Club documentary will be released on Friday. It's time to show you all the passion of this club. It's very, very exciting. For those of you that can't remember or don't remember, and fair enough, because it was back in mid-October, we went to Bilbao to experience a weekend with Athletic Club thanks to our partnership with New Balance. And we had an absolutely unbelievable three days. Went to the new San Mames to watch them play Atletico. Went to Lathama, which is their training ground. Went to the museum, went to the headquarters, which is like an old school building stuck in time. It's absolutely beautiful. We experienced everything. We saw the fan culture. We saw the match day and we filmed it all too. So we can show you all of it as well, which is fantastic. And we're very excited to share with you this very special and unique club. So, you will be able to see what we've created on Friday. It's on our YouTube channel and it will be plastered all over our socials too. Yes, Uh, it will go. Eventually it'll go in the link for the the, the description of this episode. I'll I'll post a link on Friday once it actually is live and we'll do it again next week. So if you miss it, don't worry. We're going to ram it down your throats relentlessly until you've watched it. (laughs) So so, so that's good. Hope you're all excited. I'm really excited. I've been working on the edit with our cameraman and editor and producer, Eden, who's Mm. brilliant. Um, it's been it's been a long old slog, but we've we've got we've got something that we're really really proud of. So I, I can't wait for you to see it. I'm, I'm I'm really really excited about this, and we're yeah, it's going to be dropping on Friday, 10 a.m. UK. It goes live, which I do appreciate is about three in the morning on the east coast. Uh, sorry, on the west coast. On the west coast, it's so, worth staying up for. Yeah, I mean, hold on. <laughs> Go straight through Thursday night and you get the first sneak peeks at Born Bread Basque 
the In Athletic Club story, uh, our documentary oh, with New yeah. Balance and Athletics. So, yeah, really, really excited about that. And, yeah, we're going to be pumping it everywhere. So uh, please do go and watch. We'd really, really love you to to experience yeah. what we experienced. It was amazing. And there's actually it? a story behind it all too in, in that Jack, who is the king of directions, actually got lost in the making of this documentary. It's the only time in his life I've ever seen him genuinely lost. Uh, we even got a couple of panicky messages from him as he obviously was trying to figure things out for himself and conceded defeat, didn't you, Jack? Like There was a few minutes there where I thought that was it. Yeah, documentary it, might not happen. It was scary. It was scary moments, but uh, we we got through it in the end. Chasing a bus, end. you nearly got lost. Indeed, indeed. We we you know we, we live and learn from these situations. Man of directions all over the place. Bilbao's a funny old place. Um, but right, let's move things forward. And in my things, I love. I want to talk about Napoli because they are exceptional, and they won five one this weekend against Juventus. Now, last week, Sam and I did a little YouTube live talking about Juventus. We talked about the fact that they've been on this eight-game unbeaten run. They've been on an eight-game run without conceding a goal. And I think we came to the conclusion that Juve had improved, but that the run was potentially masking still a few flaws within this team. And they were ruthlessly exposed by Napoli on Friday night. It was the stuff of dreams. And look, there's so much about this fixture and this result that means so much. Yes, Napoli are are now kind of nine points clear. They went 10 points clear at at the top of the league after the win. Uh, Milan then were held to a two-all draw by Lecce, which means that Napoli are, are nine points clear at the top of the table. And to bounce back from from that inter-defeat as they came back from the World Cup in the way that they have, I think is is pretty sublime. But the fact that it was Juventus, I think, was a very, very important element to this game. Because if you think back to Sarri's Napoli, um, the team that hunted them down, the team that chased them down and, and denied them from winning that Scudetto was Juve who at the time felt so implacable. They just were the team that no one could get behind uh, and no one could stop. And ultimately, it it got to that point and Napoli were ultimately superseded by an incredible Juventus side, also under Max Allegri, of course. Um, This time feels different. Everything feels different. And look, I think if you look at this, whether Napoli win the league or not, their season, I think, has been one of the best stories of this European year. They have managed to, you know, in the summer, overhaul a squad, lose a lot of very, very key players. You know, you're looking at leaders in this camp, the likes of Lorenzo Insigne, the likes of Kaladu Koulibaly. Napoli refreshed the squad, made 12 million euros profit, slashed their wage bill, basically, you know, by to under, I think it's about 70 million a year from over 100 million. I think there's only two players in the entire squad who own, earn over €100,000 a week. I think those two players are Victor Rossman and Piotr Zielinski. And you're looking at this squad and going, right, so you refreshed it and you've just become unbelievable. And this team is full of players who do things a little bit differently, I think, which which makes it really special. Kvaratskhelia has come in and set the world ablaze in so many ways. But I think what's really special about him is that no one knows what he's going to do. There are still these few players, and you look at it and think about how players are, are kind of formed and, and shaped by the academy systems and 
players at the moment often want to play in systems. Vanaskelio is one of these old brand of players. You go, we well, don't know what you're going to do next. I have absolutely no idea what you're going to do next, but I'm pretty confident it's going to come off. And and I think that that's a, a really special and unique thing in in today's game. And in the same way, I think Osterman is a is a very very unique striker. We don't have Manny who can do absolutely everything. You know, he is unbelievable in the air, can stretch in behind, can take the ball short, spin and get off a shot like Gabby Batistuta. This is a phrase I've, I've come back to a couple of times this week. And I, I think when you're looking at all of these parts put together, it just is, is such fun to watch. Leboc has come back into this side and is a metronome around which everything ticks. I don't think anyone would have seen that coming. And Geese is a very special player in the way that he carries the ball. You look at the players coming off the bench, you like Raspadoria and Dombeles. There's just a lot of joy in this Napoli side. And the way that they put Juventus to the sword... When Juventus didn't do a whole lot wrong, you know, there are some individual mistakes. Bremer makes a mistake for, for one of the goals. But generally, there's not much that's gone wrong in this Juventus game plan. And Allegri afterwards was talking about it. It was like, some days there are days where just everything goes in. And it, it did feel a bit like that for Napoli. But to do it in a game of this magnitude, um, in a fixture which, if they'd lost, would have reduced their lead over Juventus to just four points feels like a kind of turning of the tide in many ways. And it does feel like the fixture that has set them on course and, and basically feels, it's the one that's made everything feel different. And so I just wanted to shout out Napoli because they're pure joy. Over the next four months, it's going to be an incredible story watching them in Serie A. You know, whether it goes one way or another, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of fun, I think, in Naples. And if you haven't been watching and following their journey, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's been just so much fun it's going to be good to almost it's, it's going to feel like we're almost cheering them to the finish line like you know when you stand on the line at the end of a marathon yes and you clap all the runners over the line and particularly hopefully someone that you're actually you personally know is involved and you're actually clapping them but you clap everybody and because you're proud of all of them and what they've achieved is amazing and it, it's it's gonna feel like that if they really are in that position and they just keep churning out those wins you know, through March and through April. We'll all be tuning in and we'll all be smiling when they score the first goal of the game. We'll all be smiling when they book another win because it's been long overdue for Napoli to win a title, to win a Scudetto. And uh, even though you predicted them to win and it would make you correct, I'm still kind of into it. Good. Which just says says a lot. I'm glad that your love for football supersedes your dislike for me being correct. That's yeah. like it really is something that means a lot. Yeah, no, I know it's close. <laughs> I know it's close. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Um, you didn't predict five one on the spotlight though, did you? No. no. Although I no. although I was called a silly vibes merchant for predicting a Napoli win. So you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. It wasn't me that called you that. Though. No, no, nor no me. although you did read it out. <laughs> so, so actually, yeah. uh, you get you get at least some. I also predicted play. a one 0 Juve win. So, what I say doesn't really matter. No, that is very, very true. Very, very true. Right. Uh, with that, I think it's probably time for us to move on to the main thrust of our ranking today. So, we're going to be heading to the main ranking after the break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. And I'm happy to hand the floor to Mr. Dean Jones. Off you go, mate. Yeah, well, to keep it transfer themed, we're obviously trying to think of ways to, to keep alive the episodes and to keep them relevant so that you can hopefully listen, not immediately, but even if you listen a couple of days later, this should still uh, have some life in it. So we're looking at rank, uh, ranking transfers 
that could change the shape of this season. So players that can go into a club and have an immediate effect. And I think that that's quite an interesting topic because a lot of the transfers that we're seeing spoken about and talked about and even done in the sense of Mudrick, I don't think immediately influenced this season. I doubt that Mudrick is going to come in and be a game changer for Chelsea this season. There are so many things that need to happen for him to get used to what's happening here. Bear in mind, until the weekend, he thought he was joining Arsenal. Uh, and suddenly he's a Chelsea player. So, you know, he's just spoken to Graham Potter for the first time about four or five days ago. Um, Arsenal have been in touch with him since October. Um, he's got to get his head around that. He's also got to get in top condition, form, all these things. So a player like Mudrick, you might not see really properly influenced games to like, I don't know, March, something like that. But I'm looking at here at players that I feel can come in and rescue someone's season, change the shape of the season. Just be a good fit straight away. Um, and to get a, a vibe of where I'm heading with this, I'm, uh, number five, I'm going to start with Ferran Torres. Um, and the possibility of him going to Arsenal. Um, now, Blimey. if you consider uh, the fact that Mudrick hasn't joined Arsenal and the fact that they're now going to look at what can they do. Now, they're not going to panic. We know that. Like they, This is not what Arsenal do anymore. Um, they have come away from being like many clubs where they'll look for knee-jerk reactions to big moments and just look to sign anyone, just fill a number, fill a gap. They've already done that in the in recent times. When they didn't sign Rafinha, they didn't do it. Uh, when they didn't get Vlavic, they didn't do it. They wait for people that fit what they're looking for. Um, and there aren't many people on their radar that have been on their radar that are still potentially gettable, I don't think. Rafinha's been mooted in the press. I'm told it's very, very unlikely that Rafinha decides to move to Arsenal at this moment in time. I think he's very happy where he is and really committed to the change ahead of him. But obviously, when clubs are talking to each other, they they speak about various topics. And when Arsenal and Barcelona speak, Ferran Torres will be in that conversation. And Ferran Torres is a player that Arsenal have looked to sign on two previous occasions. And I think personally is a really good fit for what Arsenal will try to do right here, right now. And if he did make this this move, could revive his career immediately and also give Arsenal an edge which they might need in this title running. Um, if you think back to his transfer to Barcelona, it's fifty-five million euros initially that he moved there for. Um, you look at the level he's been playing at this season for Barcelona. Um, I saw he's played an average of 42 minutes a game. He's played, he's featured in 22 matches, but his average game time across those is 42 minutes. This is not a player that has managed to nail down a spot in the side. Um, his performances have often well, been disappointing. But I don't think that that means that he can't be successful elsewhere. If you play him in the right system, you get him in the right frame of mind, get him with another manager, another environment, I think Ferran could be a good success. Um, Now, Barcelona are keen to trim the squad a little. They've obviously got FFP to continue to deal with. There's a very, very small chance that Aubameyang yet goes back to Barcelona. Um, at the moment, the, the legalities of that seem a little unclear, but that doesn't seem totally dead in the water. Um, what do you mean by legalities of that? 
So basically, originally they looked at bringing him back because you're not allowed to play for more than two clubs in a season, correct? So you're having that kind of moment where the only place that Aubameyang would be legally allowed to play under FIFA jurisdiction is back at Barcelona. But La Liga's rules suggest if a player has been registered and deregistered, they can't then be re-registered again within the course of one season. But Barcelona are apparently exploring the legalities of whether that rule actually makes any sense and if they could challenge it in, in court. Yeah, um, exactly. That's very well very well explained, Jack. I'm glad you took took that over because I wouldn't have explained it as clearly as that. So that's well the most concise Jack has ever said anything. It really is. That's absolutely unbelievable. You have to trim that afterwards and we'll send it to potential employers because that's going to be really helpful. I think we need to send it to news like news channels. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just leave it there. I'm actually Yeah, that's stunned. it. Done. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, at number five, I mean, look, the, I, I, the reason I put it at number five it's not because I don't think like this is a good fit. I think in terms of that, I might have even put it at number one. It's just unclear of whether you're going to get him out of Barcelona in this moment. Um, obviously, there's still a situation potentially with Memphis Depay if he could get out of there. Um, Ferran, I think, ideally would still like to turn this situation around and would try to do that. I think that one thing too is that if he was to leave and a permanent, like what's his value going to be? Um, how much are Barcelona going to be willing to take a hit on considering they've already paid 55 million euros for him? Because he's not worth that at the moment. There's no way. Um, what do you think, lads, in terms of a fit Ferran Torres to Arsenal in this moment when they, they might be looking for an alternative to Mudrik? Well, I mean, his big problem has been, it's almost felt to me like he's got a bit of the yips in front of goal. Like a lot of Ferran's off-the-ball stuff has always been very, very good. But it just when it comes to that final action, he's just... He's just been lacking that composure. And I feel like it's an issue that's compounded over time. Um, and then when you compare him to someone like Rafinha, who hasn't actually hit top level all the time for Barcelona, but has certainly showed an awful lot. Um, and he seems more unlikely to go to Arsenal now than he did when he played for Leeds. Yeah. Because when Rafinha played for Leeds, it was like, well, he wants to go to Barca, so you're probably not going to get it. Now he's at Barca. <laughs> like It's even harder. So Ferran as like a plan B, he's probably someone, yeah, man, I mean, it kind of, I feel like it does, it's, it's hard to explain exactly how bad he's been in front of goal at times and how that defies logic because we know what he's capable of. And you'd be banking if you're Arsenal on really getting him to rediscover that quite quickly. Although, of course, the fact that he can play across the front three in three different positions does give you a nice amount of cover and we've been talking for a while, haven't we, about how Arsenal need that depth? Yeah, I, I think he fits it. I, I like it in, in terms of where it's at. You know, we've obviously seen that he's worked with Arteta before, that Arteta clearly likes him in terms of, as you said, the, those two attempts to to bring him into the club, you know, previously. I, I, I do feel like Arsenal at the moment is a place where players can come in and be happy and, you know, it, they're all kind of bailing each other out in many ways. You know, if Ferran has a bad day in front of goal, the chances are that Ketia or Erdegaard or Martinelli is going to step up and make something happen. And I think that's a kind of nice thing because for, for points, I think, at this, in this Barcelona season, obviously Barcelona were absolutely exceptional against Real Madrid in, in the Super Cup final at the weekend. And they deserved everything that they got. In fact, 3-1, I think, as a scoreline, flattered Real Madrid. And, and, and that's saying something. This was a really, really impressive Barcelona performance 
But there have been moments this season, I think, when Ferran hasn't fired on all cylinders that it's cost Barcelona and therefore the pressure mounts even further on Ferran because he gets stuck as scapegoat for a performance maybe going awry or, or points being dropped. Whereas I think at Arsenal at the moment, there's so much goodwill and you know faith around the squad that actually it's a really good place for a player to come into and, and, and thrive. In terms of, of where he fits, and, and I think they, they do need someone to to rotate with Bukayo Saka at times, much as you know, I think Saka is a world-beater and, and I absolutely adore the man. I am very concerned about the amount of minutes that Saka is being asked to play. I'm concerned about the amount of kicks uh, he's taking mm. from, from opposition players. And uh, I think it was Chris Hamill said he's going to be playing on bionic legs if, mm. if we're not careful because <clears throat> referees are just not protecting him in the way that perhaps he needs to be protected. And, and so to bring in a player who's capable of, uh, of making goal-scoring runs, of being a creative threat from that right-hand side who could just maybe give Bakayo Saka a little bit of a breather as we come towards the kind of sharp end of the season so that Saka isn't burnt out when it comes to Arsenal's like final push. I think this makes loads of sense. And, and, and I do actually think that, that Ferran is the kind of player who would thrive in the environment that Arteta has created at Arsenal. I've just quickly looked it up and I'm surprised to see that there's actually zero crossover between the two at Man City. Arteta takes the Arsenal job in 2019 and Torres joins City in 2020. But obviously, Ferran spending a couple of years at Man City under Guardiola, Arteta instilling something like City's system at Arsenal. In, in fact, when it's in full flow, it looks more like the City I expect than Man City can produce right now. So you've got a kind of like seal of approval there already. Like there's like a, a system in which he has played and understood. And there's no doubt he can pick up the phone to Pep and say, what do you reckon? He might lie to him at this point, actually given their title oh, rivals. Oh, 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 oh. oh, yeah, mate. He'd be perfect. Have him. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Thinking absolutely. all along, no. Yeah, I mean, I wonder how that relationship changes because I'm sure that two years ago, if Arteta asked Pep's advice, he'd be willing to give it now. Don't know. Before we move on, um, I think it's worth addressing, obviously, the approach that Arsenal have made for Moussa Diaby at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, people are probably wondering about that right now while I'm sat here chatting and chatting about Ferran Torres and why he should be the guy that comes in. One, I actually think Ferran is a better fit anyway for what Arsenal would be looking for here. But look, Diaby has been a long-term target of Arsenal. So if they're turning back to that shortlist that they had, then it it's, makes sense that he is there. There are a couple of reasons to, to question whether this one would go through. Um, one would be Leverkusen, from everything I've been told up to now, don't want to lose him halfway through the season. Two, Newcastle have had interest in Moussa Diaby, I don't think you want a bidding war uh, with Newcastle right now, uh, given what they would be capable of. And three, um, the value that you're going to end up paying here is going to be basically where they didn't want to go with Mudrick anyway. I don't think Leverkusen would be willing to do this deal um, at much underneath 100 million euros. Why would they? At this moment in time, given yeah, where Shakhtar... Well, they set their tar, uh, their stall out, Shakhtar, for their player, and they got it. Why would Bayer Leverkusen right now be willing to do anything other than hold out for a similar amount for Moussa Diaby? So it's interesting that Arsenal have gone down that path. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that Moussa Diaby is definitely the answer there. He's obviously a great player. Um, yeah, I, I like this too, to be honest. Uh, they're yeah. very different players, but I, I think he gives you that kind of differentiation. If you were to rotate Martinelli out with 
Emil Smith-Rowe on the left-hand side. Obviously, Smith-Rowe is a far less obviously explosive player mm. than than you, you kind of imagine Martinelli to be. And so, therefore, if you were rotating Saka out on the other side at the same time, you're flipping wings a little bit, sure, but actually DRB still gives you that explosivity down that right that can really like set teams on fire. So I, I like it in terms of that that way, but it's a very different signing to Ferran. Mm, yeah, definitely. All right, I think it's probably time we move on to number four then, mate. Arnout Danjuma um, mm. is available. Now, I didn't think we'd be talking about this. I don't, I don't know why, for sure, that he's actually available, but he is. He's not just available. It's a six-month loan deal of, or a loan deal until the rest of the season. Is We might as well look at it because he won't be playing in June. So that's uh, that's just how the contracts work. They go to the end of June. But um, yeah, Dan Juma, available. And I feel like, you know, the, the whole point of this episode is to talk about players that can influence a season immediately. And um, I mean, you two will be able to tell me more about the exact style of player he is here. I see him more, I guess, in the Champions League than I do in, in league football. But I've seen him score big goals in the Champions League. Um, last season was there Bayern and Juve. He scored um, goals against. And I just feel like at a time when there's clubs, to be honest, at the bottom and at the top end of the table who need attacking impetus, who need a spark, and already linked with him are Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Everton, West Ham, Nottingham Forest. I think I've even seen Tottenham mentioned at some point. What I know about this is that he is being touted around. So when you're hearing about these links, it's basically that the players are being offered to these clubs and they're showing some level of interest. Um, I think it's, it's varying across all of those. I think the most obvious thing with Unai Emery is that Aston Villa would be the front runners, and it's been spoken about almost since the day that Emery went into that job that he's going to try and sign Dan Juma. So if he's actually available on loan until the rest of the season, I can't understand why that wouldn't happen. Um, but ultimately, there's a player here who can genuinely make a difference in big matches and big moments. Um, what do you two think a good fit for him, and how much influence could he have across the next four or five months? Jack, why is he available for transfer? What's what's happened? What well, have I missed? I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Setien's footballing style particularly suits Dan Juma, who has played in obviously a number of positions for Villarreal, um, but I think was probably used most effectively as a kind of second striker in a four four two, or in Emery's very specific four four two, which kind of uses inverted wingers tucked in behind and, and lets fullbacks fly onwards. Setien has gone back to is tried and trusted 4-3-3. Uh, they are playing some really interesting stuff for Real. Alex Baena is dropping in as a kind of like very attacking eight. Um, we've seen some, some some real real kind of tactical innovation. And I think, you know, we talked before the World Cup break about teams that desperately needed the World Cup break. We didn't mention Real, but they have come out of it like a steam train. Uh, and finally, Setien's methods have clearly got across to this group of players who I think are the kind of group of players who are happy to be molded in, you know, to a manager's strengths and weaknesses. But we've just seen Dan Juma maybe utilized a little bit less than he was under Emery. Um, he's kind of maybe stuck a little bit between stations in, in, in what Setien's trying to do. He's no longer, I, I would say, an, an out and out winger, which is actually what Setien likes from his wide men. Uh, and he, you know, he expects his eights to get into the box and support, which is why I think Bayern is playing in that role. 
Dan Juma's done okay. I mean, he scored in a couple of games, mostly the cup games, but he doesn't look like he's kind of the kind of settled player. And I think he wants to be, you know, the main man in many ways. And and ultimately, I think that's what's led to a slight divide between him and the management right now. I, I don't think Setien would be disappointed if Dan Juma stayed. And I think he will find roles for him. But I can see why maybe he's looking at different players. You know, this is, his wingers are very Jeremy Pino. You know, that, that that's a Setien winger in a nutshell. And it just leaves a little bit of a gap where perhaps Dan Juma would have played every game in, in, in kind of the months prior to Setien's appointment. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, look, kicking it forward, Dean, uh, every club in the bottom half of the Premier League table should be all over this, you know, in terms of just like mm-hmm. an attacking presence. I, you, it's kind of up to you what you want to do with him. Um, he is a source of goals from the striking position or from the left wing or the right wing or, or whatever you want to do it. I mean, yeah, the obvious link there is Unai Emery's Villa and... Danny Ings isn't really doing it. Ollie Watkins got injured in the last game. So I would say all the signs would point towards that, except for the fact that yesterday, on Monday, they announced the signing of John Duran from Chicago Fire for $18 million, who is a striker. Mm. Um, but obviously, he's he's going to go and play at the Copa Sudamericano, the under-20s, uh, starting later this week with Colombia. So it's mm. pretty obvious that they're not relying on him on the here and now. So maybe yeah. that brings back into credence the six-month loan. Dan Juma, the things he said about Unai Emery in the past, I mean, the way he speaks about him, this is very similar to how Genduzi speaks about him. He's, they look at him like he's their father. Like they have the most ridiculous amount of respect for him as a person and for his methods. But I'm sure this is a reunion that Dan Juma would be pining for. So if Villa get to the end of the window and they feel like they need a body up front, then this one goes. Similarly, Everton, West Ham, all the other clubs that you mentioned, Bournemouth, they should all be all over this. And Dan Juma really should have his pick. I, I this is this is a prize, a real January prize to be had for for some lucky club. Um, Nottingham Forest, what would he be there? Twenty sixth signing, twenty seventh. <laughs> Don't do it! Don't do it! Like, Go for it! Ab- it's absolutely out of control. We're gonna records, have to do records, a, records, yeah. records. At the end of the season, let's do a special Forest ranking Nottingham Forest's thirty seven signings of twenty twenty two. But anyway, let's uh, move forward to number three. Um, this one I, I really like as a, an option to come into the Premier League. Duvan Zapata um, from Atalanta. Mm. He's being linked quite heavily at the moment with Everton. I know that West Ham do have some interest in him as well. West Ham are looking to sign another forward in this transfer window. Now, I think Zapata only has one goal this season, um, but that's not really a a reflection of what you would generally be getting from him here. Um, He's a 31-year-old forward who, oh my God, like physically... Um, experience-wise, um, technically, I, I just feel like he's a great fit to come into the Premier League and like just rumble from from day one. Like he's mm. ju- he's just going to be ready to go. Um, from the Atalanta end of things, I think I saw Everton's initial link with him was to take him on loan. Obviously, because Everton um, have no money, they they they're just looking to scrape around and do what they can for now. And maybe just push, say, oh, yeah, well, uh, give us an option to buy in the summer. People don't have money. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, so I saw one report. Um, one report said £9 million, another said €15 million. Euros. So 
somewhere around that is that's not did. the conversion rate <laughs> no they were two different reports no, exactly. I know, yeah, I know. Two someone's reports. got that really wrong <laughs> so like i don't know that's so I'm, i don't know which of those but yeah. i guess a ballpark figure just say 10 million pounds for now um if you want to buy zapata um 10 goals last season but he had an injury last season too which so i missed a lot of games um honestly like I, I really, really feel like this could actually rescue someone's season. And I mean, West Ham, maybe. I mean, I'm going to talk about West Ham again in the next bit, which will be directly kind of linked to this. So I'll, I'll ease off of that one for a second. Is there anyone else, lads, you think? I mean, look, Southampton need goals. Um, Crystal Palace need goals. Um, and Crystal Palace don't really have the money to go and spend on something like that. But um Wolves. I can think of loads of clubs here that, that could do with a player like this. It's the same cast of teams. Lepetsky won't for... want Zapata, I don't think. That doesn't strike me as a match. Yeah, no, I have made them. that link up. I, I, I was just throwing it out as, as, as a team. As an option, like, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's roughly the same cast of teams, though. You know, the teams yeah. in, the, in, that, in that, basically anyone that's in the bottom 12 of the Premier League um, will, will probably be interested in this, this kind of player. It's a slightly different scenario in which he is you know he's 31 he's had a couple of injuries like he, he does dip in and out a little bit when he's on form when he's actually feeling it you can't get near Duvan Zapata he's absolutely mammoth but um yeah he's definitely slowed down a little bit over the years unfortunately it's just just the way it goes there's a lot of games Atalanta kind of play with a front two that doesn't include him in either of the spots um I don't know. He started two of the three games since the break. Um, I, I think Atalanta would be quite happy. It's another one of those where they're not going to be mad if no offer comes in. But I think they'd mm. be like, well, uh, the reports I've heard is that they're, you know, as Dean said, they're they're desperate for guaranteed money. You know, yeah. if, if they're gonna if they're gonna let him out on loan, it needs to be with an obligation, not an option. I think the original Everton offer was an option to buy around the fifteen million euro mark. Yeah. So. If you're looking at that, you know, they're going to be like, well, no, we, we need you to guarantee that you're going to take him at the end of the loan. Otherwise, there's absolutely no point in us take, sending him on loan to you for six months. And Atalanta are completely correct in, in, yeah. in that regard. So it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. I think it's the best fit at Everton. You know, we've seen Tom Calvert-Lewin come back in to this side and... <laughs> Not toil is probably the way I would put it. Not necessarily on his own fault, but I'd just... say toil. But yeah, partially because he doesn't get any service. Yeah, exactly. So it's not been great. But I also think that you you run the risk with Dom Calvert Lewin that an injury could reoccur at any time, and it doesn't feel like Everton have any sort of situational backup when that happens. And and Duvan Zapata would be a very, very good threat to have one off the bench, two as a rotator for Calvert-Lewin and three, you know, maybe together if they're really desperate for goals and they, you know, they need to start scoring, which they do, right? Everton, Everton are a bit of a mess. They're a bit, of, they're a bit of a mess up front. Well, they're a total mess. So when you, when you look at that, I do read it as Everton being the best fit. I, I'm just not sure. It, it depends what happens with, with West Ham's managerial situation, right? And, and and I suppose Everton's as well. But if he was going to go to West Ham, I, I wouldn't really want to see Duvan Zapata under David Moyes hugely right now because I don't think that he's been able to get the best out of these kind of players. But equally, if if they were to bring in Rafa Benitez, has been mooted heavily in the press this week, do I think Duvan Zapata would fly under Benitez? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm enjoying I this role reversal, good. by the way. Um, typically speaking, it's been... 
you know, the Serie A teams who have significantly less money than the Premier League clubs because the TV revenue is typically usually the Serie A team who wants a loan for a player who's slightly out of favour or potentially expendable with no obligation, just an option, just see what happens. And and now it's Everton that are playing that role, trying to scrape Atalanta's kind of like rotational striker out for not a lot of yeah. promises. It's different. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's very rare to see the Premier League club on this end of the deal. You know, really, yeah, I mean, really trying really hard to find some ways to get this deal done. Usually the Premier League club goes, yeah, 15 million. It's um, it's a real marker for the trouble that Everton are in. Well, they're massively in the red already. And then they've also got a stadium build they need to fund. Um, and I think they're also looking at potential takeover. So um, there's, there's a lot going on at Everton right now. Um, I think if they could stay up this season, it genuinely will be a relief to them. Just so everyone knows right now, as we're recording this, when we're talking about these clubs that need goals, what, what we're talking about in the Premier League. Bottom in 20th position right now is Southampton. Um, 19th is Everton. 18th is West Ham. They've all played 19 games and all three of them are on 15 points. So there's no gap. There's no team that's lost right now at the bottom because above them, you've got Bournemouth, Wolves, Leicester and Leeds. Bournemouth are on 16 points and the other three teams are on 17 points. And then just above them, you've got Nottingham Forest. Like This is an incredibly tight um, league table as we get to the halfway point of the season. To have no team like stranded is it's actually pretty rare. Like You normally have one that you could say with some certainty is gone. It's you to see Huddersfield as well. Yeah, <laughs> or Fulham. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but, Southampton are bottom, but they're two points off 14th is the best way yeah. I can sum it up. And they probably won't go now because of the turnaround that they've just had in results and confidence. And they've now got a couple of players to still come before deadline. You imagine Southampton are in a better shape than, well, to be honest, both Everton and West Ham at the moment because they've got a, man- a new manager in who's actually changing his ways to get that team working again. Whereas it feels like Everton and West Ham are still to go through that, um, that phase and they obviously mm. play each other. Um, at the weekend in El Sakico. So just from a non-Premier League point of view, by the way, I mean, I'm sure there are other places across Europe that could do with Duvan Zapata. Oh, it yeah. kinda, again, it depends. But like putting aside my distaste for Andrea Bellotti and trying to be objective, like he hasn't really had an impact. And I like no. the fact that Tammy's starting to come back into form, but it really is all there for Roma this season. And having Duvan Zapata as, a, as an option up there, would be genuinely wonderful if they had 10 million euros to get it done or something like that. There, there are even clubs in as high positions as that in other leagues that could really find value in someone like Duvan Zapata if he really is to be discarded. Sevilla. I imagine it would pain me, you know, <laughs> in that I'm obviously a Betis fan. Um, Sevilla played Oliver Torres as a kind of second striker of the weekend as they lost to Girona. You know that that can't like I love Oliver Torres, but like ultimately he is very much not a second striker. They are desperate for goals. Sevilla, Duvan Zapata feels like such a sensible option for a club like Sevilla to be looking at as they try and drag themselves out of the mire. Like, I, I just look at this and I go, who could really really deal with this? I, I I think that Sevilla would be a really really sensible landing spot. For Zapata, and if that's what Atlanta are asking for, 15 million euros, feels like the kind of thing that Sevilla could do. Mm. Probably, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, at number two, um, a bit of a shock name, actually. Um, I wasn't expecting to talk about in this transfer window. It's Mikhail Antonio. Um, 
there's a possibility here that he does actually look for a transfer and leave West Ham before deadline day. Um, so, yeah, this one is a bit of a, a shock to me because you would expect that he would hang around, but there are various reasons as to why he might be available. Let's see, first and foremost, what happens with David Moyes because if he loses his job, well, he could yet lose it before Everton, depending on what the board decide. I don't think that will be the case as we record this, but if they lose that, it's almost certain that David Moyes will be losing. And then you get a new manager in. Of course, there's a very strong possibility they want to keep Antonio around the place. Um, there have been reports that Antonio, perhaps, um, I don't know if it reports is probably the wrong word because I don't think it's actually been reported, but I've heard people talk about Antonio in terms of application, if nothing else, um, around the club this season. Um, I think it probably disheartened a little bit about his role within the setup. I mean, when you look at what Mikel Antonio was doing last season at West Ham, he started 34 games in the Premier League. He started all of the games in the Europa League run to the semi-finals. Um, he scored 13 goals, but he brought more than that to that West Ham setup. And I'm sure, like, as this transition from last season to this season, which was supposed to, like, secure them as, like, a big club in the Premier League has gone drastically wrong and they're now stuck in the relegation zone. I think he's kind of tempted to get out of there. Look, Wolves are the first club linked to him. Um, believed to have sounded him out about the possibility of a transfer. I'm hearing Antonio is tempted. He's open-minded at the very least. Um, as I say, we need to see what happens with the managerial situation. But Mikhail Antonio, I mean, a 32-year-old um, attacker, now centre-forward as is, is, is he's become known, um, these these players just don't come along very often in a January transfer window. And again, I mean, we'll probably talk about the same load of clubs that we've just mentioned with Danjuma and Zapata. But here you're actually getting a player, which is why he's at number two, with that Premier League Nelson experience, that means you are getting something from the very first game that the others possibly don't have. I mean, first of all, Antonio has been an absolute hero for West Ham for the last couple of years, hasn't he? Just just mm. like he has been a, a modern hero for them. Like the amount of games that man has had to play for that club because they just didn't have anybody else, any other way to go, any other bodies, any other direction, any other strategy. He has managed to beat the injury bug over the course of the last 12 months um, in awe of of like just the, the yards that he's run and what he's done for that mm. team. So even though I don't have any affiliation with West Ham, I have been a little bit saddened to see him kind of pushed aside a little bit. I know that, you know, when you buy another striker for a lot of money, you need to, you need to do something about that. You need to get him playing, but it's been a little bit sad. If you're West Ham here and you really are at the point where you consider shopping him, which I think would be a mistake, just don't give him to Southampton or Everton. Like, mm. that would be the most insane thing to do this January if you gave him to the two clubs that are basically sitting right below you. If anybody from, like, Aston Villa upwards is is interested that you would consider to be not in the relegation battle, then fine. Whatever. Like, if you don't want him, fine, but he won't trouble you there. Emery would love Antonio. Emery, um, Emery would yeah. absolutely gobble that up. He really would, yeah. He really, really would. Um, but anyone anyone up from there, whatever. But don't give him to Leicester. Don't give him to Forest. Don't give him to anybody. Don't give him to Southampton. <laughs> He's actually played for two of those three clubs already. Um, you know, don't, don't do it. That would be so silly. So, so silly. Maybe offer him to Atalanta. I was just swap. about to say swap deal. Who says no? <laughs> swap no, I've, deal. Been, I've been sitting Divan. 
to Van for Antonio, who says no? Um, Loan swap. I, I think it's interesting. There are loads of teams that could do with him. Milan. AC Milan, Mikel Antonio. They are desperate for threats that can work when Leal and Giroud aren't playing in tandem. They lack any sort of creativity when those two don't get going. Mikel Antonio offers you something completely different. I'd love that. That would, that would make me very happy. He's I think, not a very purely striker, but he would be a good right winger for them. Hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. Options, options. I think I think that would be a fun one. Fiorentina could desperately do with him. Things just yeah. haven't gone to plan, especially if Nico Gonzalez is leaving. He strikes me as a purely left winger, but uh, an Italiano. Uh, sorry, a purely right winger, but an Italiano left winger mm. in in many ways. And obviously, that's potentially to do with the fact that Raphael holds down that left hand side, so he'd have <laughs> to go somewhere else. But I think as a left winger, with Nico Gonzalez to potentially going to Leicester for Atalanta, uh, for Fiorentina. I think that would work beautifully. That's who, that's who I'd be. That's who I'd be going in. That's where I'd be going. All right, yeah. sorted. There we go. Yeah, I'll give you his agent's uh, details after this, and you can you can let him. Know. <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll shop him. I'll shop him to um, Florence. Also, he gets to like chill in Florence. Well, nice. Everyone's having a good time. That'd be yeah. a great, great move. So let's see, because I think it's going to take Antonio to basically push his way out of there. Um, I think it's going to take, um, you know, him to say I I need a move, and then West Ham to agree to that. Um, Obviously, did he really get offered that. to Chelsea? And, and did that conversation happen? I saw a report the other day. I saw a report that Chelsea made a loan bid and it was blocked. Yeah, I, th- I think that was, again, that would have been pushed probably from um, the players' side of things to see if anyone could get off the ground uh, more than anything. But um, yeah, I, I feel like this is potentially very, very interesting. So keep an eye out for Antonio because, yeah, I'm not sure West Ham... Um, would stand in his way. Obviously, David Sullivan now having to take on extra responsibility um, at West Ham, given David Gold's sad death. Um, they're, they're still figuring things out. David Gold's family are involved there too now on, on the board. Um, so it's it's difficult, obviously, right now to to figure things out. And that, that's included in, in changing managers. You know, there mm-hmm. was reports about um, a board meeting straight after West Ham's last game. And it's like... I don't think that they could have. I can't. Don't think they can have an actual proper board meeting right now because it, the setup is kind of all over the place. Um, but again, yeah, it's a tricky time at West Ham. But the fans are not happy with the state of the club. Now, number one, the player I think that would be have the biggest impact on the biggest team in this transfer window would be if Moises Caicedo joined Chelsea. And there is potential for it to happen. Sorry, come again? What? I hadn't seen any links to this whatsoever. I've seen him touted to Liverpool loads of times. But I'd not well, seen any Chelsea, Chelsea links. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, obviously the um, Potter link makes sense, but still, that's the first I've heard of it. Well, um, look out for it because um, back end of this week, Caicedo um, um, changed his agencies. Um, then towards the back end of this transfer window, we're going to be hearing about talks first and foremost with, with Brighton to discuss his own situation. And secondly, from other clubs, sounding out Brighton over whether this guy is gettable and more importantly, at what price, because he's going to be gettable if you pay the right money. Now, Brighton are obviously going to play hardball here. They got a very good deal out of Cucurella. Um, that hasn't so far really worked out for Chelsea, but 
different situation. There's a decent re- relationship there generally between between the clubs. Um, Brighton are not going to let this guy go cheap. They know that Chelsea have been in that discussion for Enzo Fernandez and that they ultimately lowballed Benfica, but they were still putting a lot of money on the table. And I think basically Brighton will be like, well, you were going to pay, what was it, 80 million euros for Enzo Fernandez? You're, you're, I think you're looking at a 70 million pound starting point for Caicedo here. I imagine that's the stance that Brighton will take. I think that's kind of what Chelsea are anticipating too, if they do go and try and make this move. Um, Brighton obviously don't want to lose him there in, in the process of losing Trossard, which they're okay with given um, the state of his relationship with De Zerbi. Um, Mitoma's attracting a lot of interest at the moment. I can't see him being made available. But Caicedo, it's a big moment for him. And I think he would like to capitalise on this moment if it's possible. Um, and Chelsea, for all the forwards that they're signing right now, know that they have to find something in this midfield, especially right now. Um, it's all very well having this long-term vision to have the best-run club in the world and have to be signing players for f- five, six, seven years, um, maybe even eight-year contracts now they're getting. Eight and um, a half. Yeah, eight and a half. Is, is, we're going very NFL here. Um, but ultimately... Caicedo to Chelsea right now would seem like a nice fix. Let's just swing it on a little bit too. Declan Rice at the moment being linked quite heavily with Arsenal. There is definitely an interest there from Arsenal. And that is interesting. I mean, obviously, Chelsea keep nicking Arsenal targets. Maybe this is revenge. Maybe Arsenal <laughs> are, looking, are looking to get... Like, right, who's their main target? Declan Rice. We're about to win the league. Let's go and get him. Um, but there's something in that. So Chelsea kind of need to make moves themselves to make sure that they are safe in this area because even if Kante signs a new contract, that's going to be a one-year thing. That's going to be a a part-time job for Kante, basically, because he can't play full-time football anymore, I doubt. Um, Jorginho, probably on his way out, is already a problem in that midfield. So, Caicedo to Chelsea, lads. Um, what would we say about this in terms of a transfer that would change a season? It's the exact type of player that we've been telling Chelsea to sign all month. <laughs> so, I, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's it, isn't it? We've been, we've been trying to point with luminous green arrows towards the hole in midfield and say, do you want to consider maybe addressing this big gaping hole rather than just plastering Mudrick and Joao Felix over the top of what is already a bloated core of attackers? And I appreciate there are lots of injuries. So, yes, you need to look ahead there. But, yeah, this is, this is the type of player. Enzo was, and so is Caicedo. I mean, obviously, I'd, Enzo's uh, a bit more popular. Uh, has got more profile to him as a World Cup winner, young young player of the tournament. But Caicedo had a wicked World Cup. He's been in the Premier League for a couple of years. He's been excellent. Um, he's really blossomed. He's a five million pound January signing two years ago, wasn't he? <laughs> I think from Independiente what del Valle sign. in Colombia. It's like it's. It's, it was two, pretty much two years ago that he joined Brighton in this very window for about five million. I mean, what progress he's made. What a player he is. And yeah. again, the thing that gives him the edge over Enzo, even for the, for the immediacy, is like he's boxed up and ready to go, right? He, 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 gets, to your, yeah. he gets to the trading ground. You're like, right, get your boots on. You're starting tomorrow. 
Um, yeah. and, it, and it's fine. You, that didn't work no out worries. great for when they signed Jao Felix, did it? It did for, it did for 58 <laughs> minutes. It did for us. Yeah, <laughs> it did for 58 minutes. He would have been all right if he could have just uh, spared himself in that moment. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. I, I think it's a really good signing. I'm I just intrigued as to how Liverpool will feel about this. because Oh, how Liverpool fans are going to react to this. Oh, oh my yeah, goodness exactly. Me. Well, I mean, this is it. Like You talk about gaping holes in midfield at Chelsea. You'd argue there's an even bigger one at Liverpool mm. um, in that at least Chelsea have Zachariah playing well, although he might be injured as well now, so <laughs> who knows. Um, but yeah, I think that you, you look at that and that would be a one for, for Liverpool. And, and look, some of the reports I've, I've read on, on the Liverpool thing is that they were balking a little bit at the price at Caicedo, not because they don't think he's necessarily worth that, but because they're trying to save up funds to try and get into the Jude Bellingham conversation in the summer which is fair enough on paper. But what if that doesn't go through? What if Jude Bellingham just goes to Real Madrid, who, you know, we've seen kind of emerge as maybe front runners in this conversation over the last month or so. And if he just decides that he wants to go to Real Madrid instead of, of Liverpool, which would be fair enough considering that it doesn't look right now that Liverpool are going to be playing Champions League football next year. Now, look, maybe he wants to come back and maybe he wants to, to play in the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. But... I think there's a that's a really risky strategy being like, oh, we're going to go all in for Bellingham. And if we don't get him, Caicedo might already have gone to Chelsea. Mm. Enzo Fernandez Shaw is is probably still going to be about in the summer now. Yeah, that's point. to say, they should but probably like, just buy Enzo then. Plan yeah. C is Enzo. But, you know, you're looking at an equal kind of figure, a, a higher figure. You're probably still going to have to buy the buyout clause if you're, mm. if you're looking at Enzo, which is more expensive than what we're talking about here for Caicedo, who, as you say, is Double. a Premier League player boxed up and, and, and ready to go. Someone who's who's who literally was probably the best player of the park. Maybe Solly Marsh would have something to say about that. But in, in Liverpool's loss to Brighton yeah. at the Amex at the weekend. And you're, um, you're looking at that and going, that's exactly the kind of player that Liverpool need to start running things in the middle again. And yeah. so for them to be basically like, ooh, I'm not sure about that transfer fee because we want to get involved for Bellingham, I, I think is hugely risky business. Clubs don't like getting involved in bidding wars with Chelsea, though, do they, Dean? No. no. Why would you? Them, yeah. I, don't blame I mean, the other thing to bear in mind is like Liverpool do do things so quietly and secretly. I mean, they're probably signing this deal right now for Caicedo. <laughs> <which is quite, laughs> so um, you'll have to excuse me if that's happened by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I mean, but yeah, yeah no, that's, a, that's my rap, lads. That's the, that's the five that I think we should have an eye on for game changes in the season. Liverpool move in in silence. Mm. Like real G's in lasagna. <laughs> Antonio and Caicedo are fascinating for these next two weeks absolutely fascinating thank you for bringing those to my attention no no worries no worries I'm glad we could talk about some new names to be honest very good well done DJ well done DJ a very very good ranking lots to digest lots to have a think about there and on that bombshell I think we're going to call the main ranking to a close call the segments to a close and move in to part three so we'll be back after the break Stick with us. Welcome back to part three of Ranks FC. And it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Although, I have a funny feeling I'm not going to enjoy this one. Dean, floor's yours once again. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Alexander Mitrovic. Oh. I had to show that there's no bias involved in this melon. You know, I, I could 
I, I can't just pick Darwin Nunez all the time. He didn't uh, play this. He out. didn't play this weekend, so I you can't blame him for the three 0 loss. Yeah. <laughs> I could have picked him for missing the game, um, but ultimately, I've got to hold my hands up and be like, if this was any other player in the world, I'd be giving the Melon of the Week. So even my beloved Mitro has to get Melon of the Week for his uh, penalty foul, uh, foul kick. Uh, against Newcastle United. Um, a fantastic opportunity for Fulham to get a win at Newcastle on the back of beating Chelsea. Um, the game plan had gone well. They should have had a penalty seconds earlier. Ref doesn't give it. Then there's another foul in the box. Get this one through VAR. There's a long, long wait before the kick gets taken. Andreas Pereira even holds the ball to make it look like Mitro's not taking it. Give, let him focus on what he's going to do. Um, everyone's standing around the penalty spot, which we'll discuss a little bit after. And then Mitro steps up and he scores. And it's a very strange kick. And I'm like, wow, that's gone weird. It looks like he's kicked the ball. He slips. I thought, oh, he's slipped and he's kicked the ball into the turf and it's looped up and it's gone into the net. And I'm jumping around the lounge. Yes, um, chanting Mitro. Uh, me and Dylan having a lovely time. And then... The commentator says, he could get Melon of the Week, by the way. He says, oh, hang on. This one might have to be retaken. It looks like Mitrovic has touched it twice. And I'm like, hang on a second. Mm. What? What? Number one, that ain't a retake. That ain't a retake if he's touched it twice. And two, what on earth has happened here? And then you look at the replay. Mitro has slipped. He's kicked the ball with his right foot against his left foot and no wonder their goalkeeper's gone the wrong way it's looped up in the air into the net and that my friends is a foul you cannot do that it is sadly very melanish to to slip and fall and mess up the kick because it is then a newcastle free kick there's no retake to be taken fulham have missed their big moment and newcastle go on Mm. to score a late should have been a retake by the way encroachment Encroachment was there? Encroachment. I didn't there even was get that two far. Newcastle I... players in the box when Phil, when Mitrovic yeah. struck the ball for the first time, and then well, they you for the second time. The first. Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. Anyway, Newcastle players had scuffed up the spot. Um, so they're the melons. No, they're not the melons. No, they're not. Actually. They're the yeah. heroes, aren't they? We're the melons for for not addressing. Well, the ref, the, re- the referee. We, we discussed this a little bit on Monday. The referee makes his base of operations the penalty spot. So when all the players are arguing with him about the award of the penalty, which is natural, and you know you get you get those kind of moments, they're mm-hmm. also standing around the penalty spot, and you can just see all of them like digging the boots in, and you're mm-hmm. like, well, and and also there's you know that's gamesmanship. That's not me complaining that I think that this shouldn't be allowed. It just is what it is. The referee one can't make that his base of operations, like move it away from the penalty spot, and two. Like, he lets them argue with him for about five minutes. It's gone to VAR. The penalty's been awarded. They're not going to overturn it at that point, are they? Mm. Yeah, move no. everyone away. I thought it was some 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 weak, weak refereeing. Do, do you think that that should be a retake? Or do you think it's too subjective? Because obviously the, the actual rule itself is to prevent just dribbling Passing, towards goal. Yeah, <laughs> dribbling in, yeah, um, yeah. And, you, and you'd then be forced to do it, make a subjective call to say, oh, no, that was an accident. You know, that sort of thing. So does it open up a too much of a can of worms? So I saw a lot of discourse on Twitter after going, that seems unfair. Feels like you should get another go. The only time I've ever seen this happen before in terms of a double touch is when a player's hit the post and scored the rebound. 
Oh, I've seen. Yeah. I've definitely seen what Mitro did happen before. It's uh, rare, but I've seen it two or three times. I've not seen it ruled out for that. I've seen people slip, obviously, but I've, I've not seen it ruled out for that. But I have seen a player have a penalty disallowed for hitting the post and scoring the rebound without it touching the goalkeeper. Yeah. So that's always a bit of a weird one, isn't it? But very strange. So yeah, I can't suppose believe it, makes it sense. happened. I still yeah, can't I can. believe this happened. I can. It, it goes I to actually... show that even in a even in a really good Fulham season. There is still the you know the ghost of calamity lurking its think, head round corners. I think the man might have to stop taking pens. He's actually not got a great record now. No, he doesn't. Um, is no he one's 50, ever missed fifty percent or something? He missed three. No, it's not quite that bad. But he's missed three this this missed three Premier League three. season, and I don't think anyone's ever done that before. I think Hasn't that he scored is a three and missed three. Then is he not? Yeah, he scored three as well. But one of the ones he scored was right through the keeper's hand. Um, it was yeah. one of those. Oh, we've got ones. enough other players on that pitch that are good enough at pens that we might have to look at this and actually let Pereira just Andres give it, just take one. Give it all to the reincarnated Willian, as far as I'm concerned. Just Willian let him do like everything. Pen, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. just yeah, bend exactly. it top bags. Right now, it's time for shout out of the week. This week's shout out of the week is. BPAL960421. Strange name, but thank you, mate. Um, this is BPAL to his mates. BPAL. Um, he says, best footy podcast. Of course, gave us five stars, as I'd like you to all do right now, please, wherever you listen to your pods. Give us a five star. It really does help us get in front of new eyes. He says, been listening to Ranks FC since it was called BR Football Ranks. Easily the best football podcast. A great blend of humor and interesting chat. Thanks for the entertainment, lads, from probably your only Sri Lankan listener. P.S. Dean is a melon. Not a, not a great ending to it, but okay. I quite um, enjoyed it, to be honest. Uh, That's a six-star review not, in my book. Five not... stars for the stars, and then six stars, the sixth one for calling you a melon. Yeah. Fantastic. I, uh, I doubt he is our only listener in Sri Lanka. I haven't, I haven't checked the details recently of where we're getting listened to from. but I'm 100% sure he's not the only one. Yeah, you seek out your your fellow rank squatters from whichever country you live in. Set up members clubs, um, have gatherings. You could all get together and listen to the pod Set up together. Penyas, yes, for ranks this is what FC. we want. This is what we're heading for, rank squad. So, um, you know, thank you for getting in touch and thank you for the review. And anyone else would like a shout out, please get yours in now, um, so that you've got a chance of being mentioned. There you go. There you have it. There you have it. Right. Have you, Sam? Yeah, so this week's gibberish is the three worst things about Wordle. I bloody hate it, lads. My New Year's resolution was to get involved with the cutting-edge technology and fad of Wordle, and two weeks in, it's the worst part of my day. I just <laughs> I just don't like it at all. I think I'm going to have to call this one after January. When... when uh, and my first question, really, before I go into how bad it is, is that how long do I genuinely have to do this? I've played it 13 days out of 17 this month. Like, I've given it a fair crack. <laughs> Where's my cutoff? You're meant to be a man of words. It shouldn't be difficult for you. I'm going to explain to you why it is. But first of all, when can I quit? I don't know. We'll have to hear your reasons first, and then we'll give okay. you an answer. All right. Number three, Americanized words. Okay, yeah. This is just this is just an unnecessary spanner in the works, and I appreciate that it's not really anyone's fault. But yeah. and also was... the, the, the vast majority of people listening to this can be like, "What are you on about?" Yeah, well, I mean, let's make it relatable content. 
Britishized words, British English words, whatever it is, when you get them, if you ever get them, I don't know if you do. But recently there was one for, uh, it was sedan, S-E-D-A-N, which, you know, for me is a very American term for a certain type of car. And we don't really use the word sedan here, do we? No, 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 we don't. No. So like, it's very lucky that I even got it in the first place. Um, I'm a man of culture, of course, man of the world global appeal so i was able to translate through it but it makes it harder and my poor wife was sat there wondering what on earth was going on because she's playing it too she doesn't really know what that is um so americanized words make it very very difficult because obviously you would never really your your mind never really goes to them one the Um, first time i ever failed a word was because it was color spelled without a u spelled wrong got it yeah that's yeah yeah, i I, I can actually appreciate your uh, your issues with this yeah, I've never had anything that egregious, fortunately, but I guess depending on how long I have to play this game, something might be in store for 12 me. 12 months currently. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, number two, the feeling of despair when your first guest reveals no correct letters. Now, obviously, this, this is, is easily remed- remediable. By closing the browser and leaving no you should always have two words as your first two which have nothing to do with each other and, and basically cover off the, the big the big guns yeah so well, as in yeah your first two guesses are 10 independent letters cover off a e r s t yeah i mean i try o, i try you, to i try know. to do this yeah my first word is always heart uh because like e a r and t are very very common and then my second word will involve a different vowel and an s and somewhere in there, I should get something. If I don't, I am furious. And I do think that there is there should be a function on this game where you can quit and restart for free. You get one do-over per day if you get zero correct letters in any places. Like a mulligan in golf. 100%. We need, we need the mulligan feature ASAP, particularly if I've got to play this for the rest of the year. Because honestly, I rarely feel lower than when I get zero letters correct <laughs> in my first guess in Wordle. Yeah, I'm glad I've never played this game. Don't play it, it's terrible. I don't, I don't think it's one for you, DJ, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't like it. Anyway, the number one reason um, is that, and this is a bit of psychology, really, and Jack, you'll be very familiar with it. Everyone else will that's played it too, and has been for the last three years. <laughs> um, once certain letters have been ruled out, the only words I can think of are words that involve those letters. It is so frustrating. I believe this is a form of unofficial torture that I'm going through and I've like unwittingly signed myself up for and it's driving me kind of mad. So I put heart in and, you know, it comes up with nothing. That means there's no R and there's no T. The only letters I can, only words I can now think of have an R and a T in it somewhere, sometimes multiple. It's the only thing I can think of. And I did look this up because clearly this is like some psychological stuff and it is called something. It's called ironic process theory or the white bear problem. Um, and it's something that Dostoevsky referenced in 1863 and said, try to pose yourself this task to not think of a polar bear and you will see that cursed thing every single minute in your mind. So this is this is centuries old stuff and I'm walking into it with a blindfold on now being tortured by it. Don't think about a white bear, Dean. Now all you can think about is a white bear. And that's what Wordle is. That is essentially what it is. Don't think of words that contain these letters. All right, well, that's now all I'm going to think of. And I sit there for 15 minutes every day doing this to myself voluntarily because I signed a binding contract with myself on a podcast. 
Blimey, I think you need to take up meditation as well so that you can do that afterwards or before because <laughs> um, you need you need some mindfulness to cope with this, I think, Matt. It's that or I need to sign up for kickboxing. Do well oh, yeah. outside the gym and then just go and start punching stuff because uh, <laughs> it's just like, it, <laughs> I really don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes forget, but I'm, I've got 13 out of 17 so far this year. I'm really giving it a fair crack. I really am. I'm sticking to it, but <sighs> the clock is ticking, guys, before I explode on this one. Yeah, it does. It does feel. What are my other resolutions? Struggling. Am I doing all right on those? Drink more Guinness. <laughs> Still nailing that one. Uh, how's your McDonald's, <laughs> McDonald's resolution going? I've had two so far. Is that two all right? In Seventeen days. Not great, is it? It's one not week. great. I was averaging two a week before. We thought. So you cut down to one a week. Yeah. It's not yeah. bad. I mean, it's... I feel like you could have had none up to this point. No, I feel mate. like it's just that I've had no McDonald's this year. I haven't had a McDonald's. No. And I'm not giving it up. What do you order in on a Sunday when you're hungover and don't have any lunch? I make pasta. I don't have a hangover and I don't order in. And what do you do, Jack? I make pasta. <laughs> That's outrageous. It's outrageous. No, it's sorry. just not that hard to make pasta. But I like cooking, so it's fine. And if I did, like my hangover food is pizza. Yeah, anyway. so, and so would mine be. If I was really hungover, yeah. I'd be ordering like a Domino's. It's a, it is a Domino's. Mm. Um, that that's my hangover. But I haven't ordered one of those this year either. So um, I mean, I the kids have that like at least your situation's slightly different. I'll give you a bit. Yeah, of my anyway. kids don't eat anything apart from expensive takeaway pizzas. That's, that's a major problem. <laughs> that's an issue. Um, we'll, we'll address that on next week's gibberish. Major yeah. issues that children have given Dean. Um, right, <laughs> on that bombshell, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day here. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much to Mr. Sam Tyler Rank God. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much to Dean Jones, our transfer guru. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. Keep an eye out on Friday for our documentary with New Balance and Athletic Club. It's going to be available on our YouTube channel and all over our socials. But it is something we're really, really proud of and really excited for you to see. Thank you so much for listening today and we will see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.